really is, but certainly we're glad that you're here today. I hope the time we spend here together today will be a source of strength and encouragement for all of us, and I hope that everything we say and that we do here today will be a source of glory and praise to God. I've started doing my Christmas shopping, maybe you have too. Just this week, some of the things I've ordered for Abby actually came in. I don't know about you, but I do most of my Christmas shopping online these days to avoid the big crowds at the store. This is that time of year when a lot of us are focused on choosing just that right gift for those special people in our lives. Let me ask you this. Have you ever received a gift that was indescribable? Something that was just beyond description? What would make a gift indescribable? Would it be something that you unwrapped it and you looked at it and, well, that's, that's interesting. Never seen anything quite like that before. Uh, what is it? Or would it be something perhaps that had a great emotional value attached to it? Maybe it was given to us by someone special. It was unexpected. And so it always has that sentimental value that we give to it. Would that make it indescribable? Or maybe it's a gift that <laughs> you value so little that you don't even bother trying to describe it. At the first apartment I lived at in Austin, the previous occupant received the Neiman Marcus catalog. Now, this was more than a little surprising because I lived in a, a small apartment in West Campus. This is, is student housing primarily, if you know anything about the Austin area. And this was before it's like it is now, where they've, they've since torn down this building along with a lot of others and built luxury-style buildings there. This apartment was less than 400 square feet. I had one armchair there in the living room. I could have had more, but there wouldn't have been room to put it against the wall at night when I pulled my Murphy bed down out of the wall to go to sleep. So when you think about this sort of apartment, the set of, if you drew a Venn diagram, the set of people who live in an apartment like this and the set of people who receive the Neiman's catalog, these two circles should not overlap, ever. But evidently, this person had expensive taste, and they didn't leave a forwarding address, so I continued to receive this catalog, and typically I just throw it away because, of course, I can't buy anything in that. But I made sure not to throw away the Christmas catalog. Now, if you've never seen the Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog, at the very center are about 10 gifts, give or take, that are for the person who has everything. They are extremely extravagant. And one of these still stands out in my mind. It was the prototype of a flying car. It could fly at speeds of up to 350 miles an hour. It ran not on gasoline or on diesel, but on pure alcohol. And it could be yours to give to that special someone in your life for the trifling sum of $12.5 million. That's $2,005. Adjust that up for inflation a little bit. Now, that sort of gift staggers the imagination. I can't uh, 
fathom someone who has that sort of cash lying around to be able to spend on a Christmas gift. But it's not indescribable, is it? After all, I just described it to you. And even if we have some gifts that we might not be able to put a description into words, I can assure you that the manufacturers can describe them. In fact, they'll spend a great deal of money trying to describe them in such a way that it entices you so that you think your life just can't be complete without them. All human gifts can be described. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is writing about human gifts. The church in Corinth is taking up uh, offerings to form part of this collection that Paul is ultimately going to take to Jerusalem for the relief of the poor Christians in Judea. And he commends them for their eagerness to participate in that. He reminds them of the principle that if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully, but if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. And that prompts him to talk about all of the many gifts, the way that God has so graciously blessed us, supplying our needs, until Paul comes to his greatest gift, sending Christ into the world. But Paul can't put that into words. So he simply abruptly exclaims, chapter 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. At this time of year, people are doing their best to depict just how wonderful God's gift in Christ is. Musicians have composed some of their greatest works on this theme, Handel's Messiah. Some of the hymns that we think of, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Joy to the World, Silent Night, the one we wrote about in our bulletin article here. Poets and painters and sculptors have all picked up the tools of their trade to try to capture the greatness of the gift of God's love in Christ. And here we come to Paul, who simply says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Why does Paul call Jesus indescribable? There are probably a lot of things we could say here, but there are just four reasons I want us to consider together briefly this morning. First of all, Jesus is indescribable because of his nature. How do you describe the nature of Jesus? What words would you choose? When you think about God, the living God, pouring himself out into human form, taking on flesh, walking among us, experiencing the same five senses we experience, feeling the same things that we feel, struggling with the same temptations that we have to deal with, reaching out to the hurting masses. The prophet Isaiah, when he talks about the virgin birth in Isaiah 7 verse 14, says that he will be called Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Well, how do we describe God who has all knowledge when our knowledge is so limited? How do we describe God who is all powerful when we're so weak and feeble? How do we describe God who is eternal when we're temporal? We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. 
Paul says we can't. Words are inadequate. But that hasn't stopped some of the greatest thinkers in history from trying. The group of the greatest theologians of their day got together to discuss just this topic at the Council of Chalcedon in 451. And the issue here was the nature of Christ. And they determined that he was two natures in one person, one hypostasis, that's a technical term. But I want you to listen carefully to this definition they came up with at Chalcedon. Perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Truly man of a reasonable, rational soul and body. Consubstantial, co-essential with the Father according to the manhood. In all things like unto us without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter times for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary and of the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, and the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved. Were you listening carefully to that? Did you understand that? Neither did I. It's okay. The point is, this is humanity's effort to try to describe the indescribable. And even the greatest minds with the most extensive vocabularies are incapable of describing the nature of Jesus. God in the flesh. Secondly, I submit that Paul calls God's gift in Jesus indescribable because of his purpose in coming to earth. Angels announced to shepherds out in the field watching their flocks, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to save people. As the angel said to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. See, God looked at our world and he realized our greatest need is not some of the things that we typically emphasize. It was not for, for more wealth. It was not for better school systems. It was not for better health care. It was not even for something as noble as world peace. The sorts of things that we strive for. No, God looked at this world and realized that our greatest need was salvation from sin. To be reconciled to him, brought back into a right relationship with him. You see, those same angels announced peace on earth, goodwill to men, but there'll never be peace on earth until all human beings are lifted up out of sin. Until they have their hearts changed, their minds changed, because they've become completely and totally devoted to Jesus Christ, because the Savior has come into their lives. Our greatest need is to be delivered from an eternity without God. How do you describe that? How do you put into words what God accomplished in sending Christ into the world? So Jesus, 
God's gift is indescribable because of his nature, because of his purpose in coming to earth, and thirdly, because of the grace by which he's given. Now, every gift that I give this Christmas will be because the recipient has some sort of claim on me in one way or another. I give gifts to Abby because she's my wife. I give gifts to my parents because they're my parents. I give gifts to my brother because he's my brother and to his wife because she married him. I give gifts to a few close friends because they're dear to me. And if I give you a gift and you're not part of the family and you're not among those close friends, well, it's probably because you gave me a gift last year and I didn't give you one and now I owe you one back. And so the cycle continues. And of course, we weren't here last Christmas, so I'm not in anyone's debt. Don't expect anything from me. That's what makes God's gift so special. God is under no obligation to us. What he gives us is pure grace. Kelly touched on this uh, perfectly in his prayer over the cup this morning when he talked about the fact that we were the most unworthy of people. It's not because of anything that we deserve this gift that God has given to us. Indeed, we are in a constant state of rebellion against his will in our lives. And in that connection, Paul writes something that's magnificent in Romans chapter 5. God shows his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God gives gifts not like us, not out of a feeling of obligation, but because he chooses to because he loves us. His gifts are purely the result of his kindness, his grace manifested toward us. And there are no words adequate to describe God's grace demonstrated to us in Christ. Finally, I would suggest that Jesus is the indescribable gift because of his effect on us. What happens when I receive God's gift? Think about gifts you get at Christmas. When you open your gifts on Christmas morning, do any of them change your life? Think of the most stupendous gift you ever received. Did it, did it change your life? And yet scripture tells us that when we accept Jesus, the indescribable gift of God, our lives will never be the same. They will be forever changed in a number of ways. The first effect of that is that we will have forgiveness of sins. Now, we all know that. And maybe for those of us here today, maybe that's old news. That's old hat. We, we all know we receive forgiveness of sins. But let's not fail to appreciate the importance of that. When God forgives our sins, he forgets them. He wipes the slate clean. He washes us where we're pure and white in his sight. It's as if those things never happened. The great promise of the new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, is that God will forgive our iniquities and remember our sins no more. 
He takes them away as far as the east is from the west, as the psalmist said. He casts our sins down into the depths of the sea, as the prophet Micah testified. We're declared not guilty, or better, guilty, but pardoned because of Christ. What a tremendous effect that is from that gift. We should cherish that promise of forgiveness of sins. But not only do we receive forgiveness of sins, we're also adopted into his family. We're guaranteed citizenship in his kingdom. You know, without Christ, before that, we were strangers. We were aliens. We were separated from God's holy people. But now, not only are we part of his kingdom, we're part of his family. We're adopted as children of God with Jesus as our older brother, with all of the blessings that come along with being part of that family of God and having that privilege of being able to approach him as our father, just like Jesus did. We're also given his peace. Not the peace that the world seeks, but a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that's able to guard our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. A peace that enables us to live contentedly even when things around us in this world are swirling and going bad. A peace that enables us to take the long view and to see eternity with our almighty God. And that's a final great blessing that we have there. We have that promise of a mansion that's been prepared for us eternally with the Father. And that is completely indescribable. We could continue on in this vein this morning. I'm sure I could have listed more than four things. I could have elaborated on these four things at greater length. But ultimately, I knew when I set out to do this sermon, I would fail in describing Jesus, this wonderful gift of God. It's not surprising because someone who was much better equipped for the task before me failed too. Paul says, I can't describe him. All I can do is fall down on my knees and be thankful for him. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That should be our response too. To fall on our knees. Thank God for his wonderful gift of love in Christ. This morning, he offers you that gift. And if you've never received it, I invite you to do it today. Put your trust in him. Turn away from a life of serving self and sin and turn to God in repentance. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Be buried with him in baptism. Have your sins washed away. Have that wonderful blessing of forgiveness. Have that wonderful blessing of being added to his people, being called a brother of Christ and with God as your father. Having that home in heaven awaiting you in eternity. Maybe you're here this morning and you accepted that gift at some point, but you haven't really felt its force in your life. You've become ungrateful for it. You haven't lived in a way consistent with the gratitude that should characterize people who've received that indescribable gift. If you need to make changes this morning, whatever your particular need may be, I invite you, I encourage you, to make your need known now while we stand and while we sing.